representatives of the vineyard across Canada from coast to coast. Had a little bit of um, delay for some of, the, in fact, some of the people from the Maritime didn't make it because of the storms oh, in the east. But I would say of the 60 expected, about 55 made it. Oh, okay. So most of us were there and it was just a, a wonderful time. It was the first time that we as part of the newly formed national team had gone public and met with delegates across the country. So there was a little bit of degree of, of, of anxiety because now our mom and dad, Gary and Joy, were, were no longer directors of the nation and we were and, the new directors. And so are, are, are you letting us know now that you're part of the national team? I think you keep slipping it in there every now and then, but yeah. you're kind of a big deal, but you don't really well, make too much yeah, of just, it. Huh? Just to explain that before the... Um, Gary and Joy resigned. Gary, Gary and Joy were the national directors. Mm -hmm. The national directors are now four couples uh, across Canada representing the four regions of Canada, and we represent beautiful British Columbia. And That's, the Yukon. And, yeah. and you do it well. We're proud Thank of you guys. You. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. Yeah. And so Gordy was there bringing a, a really special word. Yeah, I had two strategic word. Two sessions that went just tremendously well, just tremendous sense of God's favor, and and uh, we'll be unpacking that in the days ahead for Great. sure. Okay, yeah. awesome. Well, welcome back, welcome home. Thank you, Joanna. All right, so I'm going to pray for you now. Pray for all of us, unless you're a medical professional of some kind. If you have something that beeps or rings, turn it off. Unless you need it for scripture reading, give your focus and attention to what's happening here. All right. Thank you, Father. You are so good. Thank you so for everything that you've poured in to your son. Your son, your servant, your friend, your beloved. And uh, thank you for what, the, what he has to bring today. And, Lord, I just believe it's a precious word, that it's a timely word. We're so in awe of how when we set out to uh, give this series on the Sermon of the Mount, how it's just been so in keeping with so much of what has happened in the church year in the life of our church. And I just think this is the word that we need to end the winter, to end the winter and to come into spring. And just think about, um, you know, the, the, the Narnia books are my favorites. And I just think about how when the witch's spell was broken because Adelstan was coming back into the kingdom, there were signs everywhere signs everywhere of just the blossoming and, and the snow melting. And, and that's just the sense that I have today, that as you bring this word, Gordy, I just pray and ask the Lord that, that winter would finish in our hearts and that those, those things that are dead, that need to be trimmed away, that need to be pulled out, that that would come out. And that springtime, which is already happening in so many ways, that Lenten season that we've begun, that that would progress in our hearts according to your favor and your Holy Spirit, Lord God. And I just bless and anoint Gordy to bring your word and ask for open hearts for each one in your heavenly protection to bring that about. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joanna. Well, as uh, we've already mentioned, this series began last September. And if you're just joining us today, um, we're We've been proposing that the Sermon on the Mount is actually like a course syllabus. When you go to university or college, and when you start the course, they, they give you a kind of an overview of the course with course objectives. 
A good course syllabus has course objectives. And Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount gives, we believe, the course objective. And that is, if you will do this, if you will successfully complete this course, people in Vancouver who did not worship God before will start to worship God. And you will be salt and light and preserve society and change society. So we kind of want to finish well. We want to finish this, this course well. And we're into chapter 7, the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're making progress, slow but sure. So let's read our text together, and then uh, I want to offer a few thoughts and, and tell a few stories. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, same way you judge others, you will be judged And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. This is the Gospel of Christ. I'm going to work through the text, but before I do, I want to tell a story I just came across that really helps define attention in this passage. Because a lot of times in our individualistic society, when we read this text, do not judge, we read it through individualistic lenses rather than through communal lenses, which was the context that scripture was written. It was written in the context of a corporate people being a communal society. But today when you say or read, do not judge, what do you hear? Yeah, your own, your own, to, to, each, uh, to each his own. Do what's right in your own eyes as long as you're not bothering anybody else. Right? So it's, 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 a, it's a kind of like to each his own. Uh, live and let live. You know, that, and that's not what this passage is talking about. I think to help us understand it, I want to tell a story of a judge. Now, how many know if you're a Christian judge, and if you had that interpretation, it would be very hard to do your job, right? And we know from Scripture that it's important to have judgment. It's important to have verdicts. It's important to have discernment. And, and we know from enough other passages in Scripture that confrontation is important. It's a loving act. There's a guy that wrote a book, Caring Enough to Confront. I like the title. So, what's going on here then? And this judge was from Ohio, and he was reading Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, to, te- to disciple his teenage daughters. He was reading it with them. And one night, one of his girls asked him, Daddy, what's your purpose in life? So he gave some vague answer about being a light where he works and stuff, but it really started to bother him. So he began to pray and say, Lord, 
I'm in a, a very unique position. Not many people get this opportunity. How can I do a, a significant work for you in my vocation? And about nine months later, he was seeing a, a procession of domestic violence victims coming through his court, and the sheriff brought a prostitute into the courtroom. And he was shocked to realize that this woman looked exactly like all the domestic violence victims that had come before him. And, and it shook up his categories. And he, he began to search his heart and began to do a study of prostitution. And he learned what he learned stunned him. He found out that 80% of these girls had been sexually abused, usually starting around the age of eight. And they often started using drugs to try to deal with the trauma by the time they were 12 years old. The girls ran away from home or foster care and were dragged by predatory pimps into the commercial sex trade. So he decided to apply his faith to his work. He launched a new program called Catch Court, and Catch is an acronym for Changing Attitudes to Change Habits. Prior to this program, prostitutes simply were cycled in and out of jail. But through his two-year program that he introduced in Ohio, uh, women convicted of prostitution under the, the, the current drug uh, prostitution laws in Ohio received drug treatment and counseling. Their movements were monitored electronically, and these girls offered support to one another, and they appeared before him weekly. Getting excited here. Thanks, Sarah. They, they appeared before him weekly to report on how they were doing. So he, after two years, he begins to describe some of the women who've completed that program. One woman was sold when she was a little girl by her mother to older men for crack cocaine. Today, she's in the Phi Theta Kappa at Columbus State Community College. Another was kidnapped by a motorcycle gang and raped, then transported to other gangs and sold for sex. Now she's been two years sober from heroin. But here, this is what really grabbed my heart. Herber says this, it's what tra the transformation that happened in him that has been the most profound thing. This whole thing about taking the log out. The Holy Spirit, he said, continues to reveal how much I've been forgiven and how similar I am to the individuals that come before me in court. He said, that's really hard to say but my, because my job is to judge but the farther I go along in my faith and the more I realize that I'm, I'm just like all of them, that makes me more understanding, more kind, and more merciful. Isn't that a great story? Yeah. That story, to me, defines this tension that we struggle with, with judging. And let's, let's just work through the text and I'll, I'll, I'll develop this a bit further. First of all, Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. There's this, his concern is for his disciples. You, you don't want to be judged? Then don't judge. Right? Because there's a law of reciprocity, the law of sowing and reaping that's going on here. Now the problem with translating is sometimes you don't get the strength of what's happening in the Greek language. Because in verse 2 it says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. The literal Greek is, for in the same for with the same judgment, noun, that you judge, active verb, you will be judged. Passive verb. Judgment, judge, judged. 
And the same thing happens with measure. With the same measure you use, noun, it will be measured to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you again. It's, there, there's this, this, this emphasis that Jesus is saying. It's, it's, the word measure is the Greek word metro, where we get the word metric. How, how we size people up. The Greek word that is the root of judgment here is the word krino, and it's a key word in this passage. It means to make a decision or a conclusion or a verdict. It's to sift through as chaff and wheat and to make as a decision as to what chaff and wheat is. And we learn from the parable of the tares and the wheat, we're not to do that, are we? We're to wait till the harvest. We're to wait. We're, there's a waiting where, because sometimes, how many know chaff is actually immature wheat? And in trying to clean out the chaff, you end up pulling somebody that's actually a wheat. Right? In trying to pull up chaff, you end up pulling up wheat. So, so there is a, um, a, a finality about a, a judgment, a conclusiveness. My good friend Rob Powell once used the analysis of still framing somebody, where you catch somebody. How many have ever been photographed in a weird? <laughs> I, I've got a great one of Kenny. Yeah, Kenny. You know, and 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 you know, somebody catches you in a in a strange. I'm not going to show it, Kenny. Uh, somebody catches you in a strange position and you're still framed in that forever, right? And sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's an impression. You meet somebody and something goes wrong. It's an attitude. It's a look. It's something that's said or not said. And there's a still frame, a judgment that happens. And you, you make a verdict. Crino means that, you know, how many have ever heard the phrase, well, the jury is still out on this one. Have you heard that phrase? Crino is saying, now the jury's back in and they've made the verdict. That's what Crino is. And you see it happening all through the Gospels. Remember that woman, the sinful woman that Luke said came at this dinner party that Jesus was at with a Pharisee. And she came in and she was a, a mess of tears. Her hair was everywhere. And she comes in with perfume and falls at his feet and begins to pour perfume on Jesus' feet and kiss his feet and wipe his feet with her hair. And judgments were formed. First of all, judgments were formed about her, about her intentions. A woman doesn't do that. A woman doesn't let down her hair in public in ancient Near East society without being a questionable character. And Jesus, allowing her to do that, another judgment was formed. A conclusion was made. The disciples are walking through the fields and they begin to pick grain on the Sabbath. Or they begin to eat their hands without going through this, eat, eat with their hands without going through this elaborate washing ceremony that the Pharisees required. And they're accused of not respecting the Torah. Paul talked about Roman believers who were criticizing one another because some people said, well, Saturday is my Sabbath. What's wrong with you? And other people were saying, well, we're free to not have a Sabbath on any day. What's wrong with you? 
Well, I can eat pork. What's wrong with you? Well, I'm still obeying the law. What's wrong with you? It was these judgments that they were making about each other. Scruples. Even Jesus, I think, experienced still framing. When He came to His hometown, they had still framed Him. This is the carpenter's son. We still have the photograph. They wouldn't let Him grow up. It reminded me when I was in grade 10, I made the senior basketball team, and that's not an easy thing to do, but I made the senior team in grade 10 as a junior. And I was, I, you know, I wasn't, as a junior, you're not, you know, you kind of come in and out, you sub in and out, but I, I was able to get on, and we were at the final of this divisional. And this guy was a ball hog. His nephew plays with my grandson in Calgary. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, you've probably seen it on Facebook. But anyway. But this guy was a ball hog. He was a great athlete. Tremendously gifted. Could shoot, pass, score. We were down by one point, And there were seconds left. I was under the basket. I was alone. And he's coming down the floor. And with like two, three seconds left, he stops and shoots from about 25 feet out. And he missed. And I was wide open. I was broken hearted. I was broken hearted. I went on and became high scorer in our league in the next two years. But that just broke my heart. And I said, why didn't you pass the ball to me? He said, you don't know how to play. That's what he said. See, we still frame our children and our youth by not passing them the ball. I hear Esther. She says to me, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to lead. I, I'm willing to play every Sunday. Corey, I'm willing to play every Sunday. These guys want the ball passed to them. We've got to pass the ball. We've got to believe in one another and, and release and, and stop still framing and keeping people stuck. Paul said this, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of people's hearts. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So still framing is, is judging before the time. It's, it's making a conclusion about something. And, 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 and not allowing God's light to shine on it. So then he goes on to say this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? That word look is the same word that he used for whoever looks on a woman to lust. A little bit earlier. So it's like, you're obsessed. You know? So here I am. I'm walking around. I got one of these logs in my eye. Like this. And I'm obsessed with this. Because I notice Kenny's going. (laughs) I go, Kenny, you got a twitch. What is that? Right? Oh, it's normal. Okay. And, and, And Jesus said, that he said, and you, you don't consider. That word consider is the same word when he says, consider the lilies of the field. Reflect. Think about it. Meditate on it. In other words, if you're going to go around helping people get specks out of their eyes, have some self-awareness. Be aware of what's going on in your own heart. Consider the log in your eye. Now he's not saying, now this is where our culture misinterprets this passage. Our culture says, just leave people's specks alone. That's not where you Listen, I had a sliver in my finger, 
You've heard the story, ad nauseum. I almost lost my finger. Wood and flesh don't work good together, even if it's just a little sliver. So sawdust in somebody's eye is serious. You don't leave it. It needs to be dealt with. His point is not that you don't take it out. His point is how you take it out and when you take it out and how you go about it. That's what he's talking about here. And he's saying that if you try... See, if I have a scalpel and I come up to Kenny and I got this big log in my eye, I say, here, Kenny, let me help you get that, that sawdust out of your eye. What's going to happen? I'm going to do more harm than good. I'm going to make the, the, the pain worse. That's Jesus' point. He's saying, don't make the problem worse. You want to you be restorative here. You want to provide a solution for it. So, he says, take the plank out of your eye. What is the plank? Well, we'll look at that in a minute. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Now, dogs uh, were regarded as unclean animals. I'm sorry, for those of you that are dog lovers, my cat agrees. And, um, <laughs> or he agreed. Gizmos in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. He's also in a jar in our garage. Anyway. Uh, but uh, Jews, Jews regarded dogs as unclean animals. And so the idea of taking sacred offerings like the Passover or the sin offerings, and, and then throwing them to dogs was just, just offensive to the Jewish mind. It was inappropriate. And, and Jesus said, well, they'll just trample on it. They won't appreciate that great sirloin steak they just got, right? Or the pigs. Pigs, sometimes, according to Vincent's word study, sometimes in the ancient Near East, guys would throw these little pebbles of pearls to pigs, and they resembled maize or peas in the and the pigs would go after them, you know, and, and start, start eating them. And then they'd realize they'd been deceived. And, they'd be, and they were pigs, pigs in the ancient Near East. They're pretty serious. They had husks and, you know, and tusks. and Not tusks. And, and, and they would turn and they, were, they would cause a lot of damage because of, uh, of the deception. So what's Jesus on about here? I think, I think it's important to discern who's ready to receive help. Who's, who's, who's hungry, who's open to receiving reproof or correction. Um, Proverbs says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. I think that's what Jesus is going on about here. I think, I think it's about discerning and I think it's also about knowing that you, you don't rebuke a baby for what you'd rebuke a teenager for, right? It's, it's being aware of people's maturity levels. Uh, so there's just, I think it's just a wisdom hyperbole that he's, he's, he's using here. So anacrino is a, is a similar word to crino. Anacrino is, is more of an investigative, examining word. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.15 that a spiritual person anacrinos or appraises all things. And I think that, that the issue at heart is what your motive is. What are you after? It's a view to restore. Galatians says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore such a person gently. Isn't that beautiful? Gently. 
That word restore is a medical word, like putting a bone back in place that's been broken. So, you know, it's, you're already in enough pain. You don't need somebody to be rough with you when they're putting the bone back, right? And so there's a gentleness, but it, there's also a self-awareness that he talks about here that we've already talked about. But watch yourselves. Or you also may be tempted, right? So Paul Bilheimer, he's a, he's a great writer, wrote about intercessory prayer a, a few decades ago, came out with a little classic book on judging. And he, he wrote five reasons why we judge. He actually wrote more, but these, these five really stood out to me. Number one, the reasons we judge or jump to premature conclusions is because our perspective is extremely limited. We don't see the whole picture. And related to that, we lack appreciation for a person's struggle. We're so insecure that we pull others down to make ourselves look better. Joseph Epstein wrote this. He wrote an article called The Sweet Smell of Failure and how we like to gloat when a public figure goes down, morally or ethically or whatever. We love to gloat over the failings of others as it makes us feel better about ourselves, even though we know deep down that if our local newspaper knew everything about us, we'd likely be on the front page as well. We don't account for the demonic. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't know what kind of horrific attack somebody might be under, right? And evil by nature is more noticeable than good. For example... What do you see? Hmm? That's right. A black square, black dot. Let's not judge one another on that. Flexibility here. But my point is, is, is most of what you're seeing is, is a white slide. Right? Right? Most of what we see, but, but we're like that with people, Right? Somebody can just be so right on in so many ways, but that one fault just stands out. So let's define the plank. What is the plank? The plank is simply judging based on our limited perspective. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to get out of our eye. He's saying, you are making decisions, judgments, conclusions based on a limited perspective, and you got to get that plank out of your eye. Get it out. Now, how do we do that? Well, I would like to offer, and I have, I have recommended this book many times, Making Peace with Your Teenager. <laughs> now, I was already halfway through my parenting years as a, a parent of teenagers when this book came along. And I wish it would have come when my kids were four and one, because it actually is good wisdom for preteens, pre primaries, and even preschoolers. It's a great book. You know what I love about it is it was the first book on parenting, and I'm not dissing other great efforts, but it was the first book on parenting that really wasn't formulaic, didn't have all these rules and regulations, and it, 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 it showed that relationship is an art and not a science. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a dance and not a formulaic thing. And uh, these two guys uh, saved my life, and it, it actually helped me walk my kids through their teens and their 20s, and now through their 30s. <laughs> and to be honest, it's great for my marriage, it's great for any relationship. So while he focuses on teens, 
that this is just good wisdom on removing the plank for any relationship that you are in. And what they do is they, they argue an acronym that, that provides guidelines, not a rule, not a formula, but an acronym called REST, R-E-S-T, and it stands for Reflection, Explore, Surrender, and Trust. Reflect, Explore, Surrender, and Trust. I'm going to walk you through those in terms of removing the plank. These were incredibly helpful to me as a parent of teenagers and continue to to just so impact my life in any kind of conflict or where there's an issue of judging or a problem that needs to be dealt with. And I, and I, I strongly encourage uh, all of you as parents particularly to read it, but it's a good book for everybody. So let's walk through the acronym. Removing the plank. The first is to reflect. What these guys uh, offered was that we first, when you when you there's an issue of, of sawdust in somebody's eyes. You know, your teenager... Um, it's coming in late or, you know, broken a rule or whatever. You know, they're violating boundaries. Is you first reflect on yourself. And this was so important for me because I was already back in leadership. I'd been out of leadership in the church for about five years, taking a break after my breakdown. And, and, and it was wonderful. I had just some... I, I was so busy in my 20s. And... Um, by the way, don't live your life in regret. There's sometimes I'm so tempted with my breakdown and everything I went through. Oh, why didn't I go to theological school? Why am I getting my master's now? Which, by the way, May the 4th. May the 4th. Uh, and, uh, it, but sometimes the enemy will just come and hit me over the head with stuff like that. And I know it happens to you too. Don't do that. Don't live there. God has a unique plan for you. And you're on schedule. And he knows exactly what... I look back now at some of the years that I felt, oh man, I wish I hadn't have been so busy. But I see how God had me in seminary back then. He was teaching me. But there was some time in my 20s where I just was so busy. And with the breakdown, I, just, I was with my kids all the time. For about four or five years, I was so, so available. So it was like God in his grace made up lost time for us. And so I began to get back into ministry. But as, I, as, I begin, as, as we begin to have issues with our teens, and, and, and you will have issues, you know, like the car goes missing and things like that. And um, I could tell you stories. How many know I could tell you some stories? Um, but uh, but you, you reflect on yourself. And you know the thing that I had this this sound I'm so embarrassed to admit this. I'm so embarrassed to admit this. But I was I was feeling embarrassed that I as a spiritual leader had children who had problems. And how it was reflecting on me. And I had to I had to renounce that. I had to stop being enmeshed with my kids. Their issues are their issues, my issues are my issues. And deal with my stuff, deal with my pride and my anger and my impatience. And the things that, that their issues, the buttons that they were pushing in me. How many know people have buttons in you? They can push. And so, you know, if, if those buttons are being pushed, they're, they're God's grace to say, hey, pay attention to that and, and deal with your stuff. So that was the first thing. So taking time, and for me, journaling has been really important. Uh, having spiritual directors, brothers who are friends, who that I can confess to is so important. Uh, 
find ways to be reflective and to be self-aware. Secondly, explore. These guys argued that every teenager, every person, has three basic needs. Height, weight, and warmth. It's drawn from Psalm chapter 8. What is humanity that you're mindful of them? You crown them with glory and honor. You put all things under their feet. And what is humanity that you love them and care for them? So three things. Height, you and I were made for glory. We were made to reflect God's glory. Secondly, you and I were made for weight. What I mean by that is you're created to, to rule, to have responsibility, to have authority. God, that's the image of God in you. And thirdly, you were made for warmth, to be loved unconditionally. And so what they do is they suggest that you begin to explore what it is that that person is missing in their life. Is it, what's, what's at issue? Is they not feeling loved? Are they not feeling responsibility? Are they not feeling esteemed? Are they not feeling respect? And, and boy, that helped me. I used that grid to pray for my kids and to say, Lord, how can I get them to have a sense of responsibility and authority? How can I make sure that they're not feeling disrespected? I saw so many people relate to my teens when, when they were going through their teens with such disrespect. They, had this, they still frame teenagers. They put them in this box and say, ah, they're just no good for nothing, just looking for trouble. And my son had all these tattoos and looked like a gangster. And even in his, in his, in his 30s, People still, they look at him and they assume that this is what, he's, what he is. They, you know, they still frame. So it's really important. Again, Jesus said, don't judge by appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He said that to the Pharisees. Don't judge by what appears to be. So this is really important with your kids, with your spouse, with your sister or brother, is what are the issues? And have I loved this person? Have I been paying more attention to that black dot on the white page then all the white. I remember when one, one parental advisor used to advise us when we went into our kid's bedroom and it looked like a bomb went off to look at the ceiling and say, my, your ceiling is so clean. Right? <laughs> then we'd send Kathleen in and she'd fix it all up. And then nobody could find anything. All right. So find, uh, thirdly is the, the role of surrender. This is where we, we, we recognize that they're God's kids. That this person is God's son or God's daughter. That He loves them way more than you do. That He wants that sawdust out of their eye. He doesn't want their, them to go blind. He loves them way more than you do. And so you begin to pray for them as an intercessor. The word intercessor is a very powerful biblical word. God is the primary intercessor and He invites us to join Him in His intercession. And you are either a critic or an intercessor. You know, I, I get stuff out of the U.S. from some of my sisters and brothers down there about Obama and I just want to yeah. wring their neck. We need intercessors down there. We need intercessors for Premier Har Prime Minister Harper. Maybe you're not right wing. Maybe you're not conservative. But our leaders need prayer. They need Christians who are part of the solution and not part of the problem. I mean, imagine if you were an early Christian in the, in, in, in the first century and your leader was Nero. And Paul said, honor Nero. Respect your authorities. 
We've got to pray for these people. Pray for people in authority. And you and I are either making the problem better or we're making it worse. You're either part of the problem or part of the solution. You're either a critic or an intercessor. And, and I'm not saying there isn't point times for loving prophetic confrontation and challenge. It's just all in the Spirit and that you do it. And not mean-spirited and hard-hearted, but with a broken heart, with tears in your eyes. Right? There is a place for that. But, but from a heart of intercession. The word... Uh, stand in the gap was a metaphor in the Old Testament used to, d- to describe intercession. God said He looked at Israel and He looked for somebody who would stand in the gap and He found no one and so His judgment fell on the land. Then in another place it says He looked for someone to stand in the gap and there was no one, so He Himself came and stood in the gap. He became a man and walked among us and went to the cross. What does that phrase mean, stand in the gap? Well, all the research I've done, it's a military phrase. And it's when you're in a war and the enemy has breached a hole in the wall. A soldier would, because time was of the essence, if there was a hole in the wall, a soldier would literally throw his body into the wall and plug the hole. And it would buy time for the armies to rally to get the city protected. But usually it was at cost of his life. Wow. Wow. So what does it mean to stand in the gap for our time? What is the gap? Well, the gap is the space between the ideal and the actual. It's the space between the way things are and the way they should be. I have news. We all have gaps. Every spouse, every husband, every wife has gaps. There's the ideal house, uh, house, spouse, (laughs) A house too. There's the ideal spouse and the actual. There's the ideal son or daughter, then there's the actual. There's the ideal sister or brother that's sitting next to you, then there's the actual. There's the ideal church, then there's the actual. There's the ideal pastor, and then there's the actual. Average, everybody's got gaps. So the issue is not whether or not there are gaps, but what you do with the gap. You either make it bigger or you make it smaller. You either make it bigger by judging and criticism or you make it smaller by standing in the gap, by prayer, by being a person who's committed to restoration. Because John 3.17 says that God did not send His Son into the world to creno the world, to judge the world. To, to pronounce, that's not, yes, there will be judgment, but that's God's second best. That was never his primary intention. God came into the world to save the world, to restore the world. That's the heart of God. So, have you stood in the gap for that person that that needs their sawdust removed? Have you felt their pain? Have you agonized for them as Epaphras agonized for the Colossians? Paul said, Epaphras, God is my witness, Epaphras agonizes for you. He weeps for you. Weeps for you. Because he's got the heart of God. Wow. And lastly, you look for teachable moments. I had to learn as a parent that I... It's not a good idea to give advice that hasn't been asked for. 
Um, I've learned as a parent that it's better to ask questions and create space. And most of all, regardless of the pain, the trauma, or the crisis that you're walking through with your child, your son, your daughter, or your sister, your brother, the most important thing you can do is be a non-anxious presence. To just be there. To be present. To have ears and eyes and a heart. It's present. And and to walk with people. And, and then these crises came and different things would happen and my son or my daughter would say, well, Dad, what, what happened there? What's going on? And even then, to rather than preach, to say, well, have you considered? What do you think about this? Right? Looking for those teachable moments so that when they're suffering, they know they're with someone that loves them. Everyone needs glory. Everyone needs weight. Everyone needs responsibility. Everybody wants, pass me the ball. Can I have the ball? So, the kingdom alternative, to, this is my sermonic sentence, to a culture that judges, that is, forms conclusions, opinions, easily labels and polarizes, the alternative to that is to embrace justice. That is, from a place of humble self-awareness, seeks to, for ways to restore, heal, and reconcile. And I, I felt I would, wanted to just, in conclusion, walk you through prayer on bitter root judgments. Bitter root judgments are where an occurrence happens in our life where we judge someone. We say, this person we still frame them and we say they will always be like this. And I can't trust them. And, and you put them in that box because of some trauma or something that happened. But it, it's, it's, not only, it's not only necessarily uh, a person. It could be a group of people. It could be men. A man does something to you as a woman and, and, and you, you make a conclusion about all men. Or a woman does something to you as a guy and you make a conclusion about all women. Or it could be an ethnic group. Or it could be something where you've judged yourself. I'll never... Have you ever used the words always, never? Never do that. Oops. Just violated that. Always. I always do that. I'm such an idiot. I'll never amount to anything. I'll never get, I never, you know, we, we make these judgments. And I just love that verse from Colossians that says that God took the sentence that was written against us and he nailed it to the cross. <laughs> Woo! Come on now! Sorry, I had to get that out. He nailed it to the cross. The sentence that's been written against you and me has been nailed to the cross. But, you know, we have, we have these stereotypes that we form. Some, some of us are against... We, we, have, we still frame obese people that are overweight. Or we see somebody that's poor. Or that's a drug addict or a prostitute. Or, or wealthy people. We have assumptions about wealthy people. 
Or certain denominations. Ah, those right-wing, redneck, blankety-blanks. You know what I mean? I've had, to, I've had to repent of some of that stuff. Patriarchal, misogynist. <laughs> but you know what? We can disagree. We can agree to disagree and still walk in love, still respect differences, and say, you know what? We're still going to end up in the same place together for eternity. Let's, let's, let's be the answer to Jesus' prayer, that we be one as he and the Father are one. Right? Some of you have been scorned. It says in, in the book of Psalms, blessed are those who do not sit in the company of mockers. The psalmist wrote this, I endure scorn. People make sport of me. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Have you ever felt this? Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. You know what the problem with scorn is? There's nothing you can do with it. What do you do with it? It's irrational. It's still framing you. It's assuming you're, it's labeling you and saying, this is what you are, and I despise you. I I disrespect you. Total assumptions, that's right. And it's, it's the enemy. So I just want to break off scorn. That is, that is, I just see some of you have just been under that. I break that off. That's a judgment that came against you. And I break it off. It's been nailed to the cross in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. I remember being on a bus, and I wish I'd, I was always this obedient, but... I'm going to tell you a success story. Sorry. I'll tell you 30 failures as we move on. But, but we, were walk, we were on this bus. I was with my daughter. She was a teenager. And the bus was crowded and full of all kinds of ethnicities, different languages being spoken. And all of a sudden, I heard this shuffle behind me, and this guy says, Ah, you effing. And he, he mentioned a race. He mentioned a race. You're always so pushy. And it was just like you could cut the tension in the bus with a knife. And I, I just said, oh, God, okay. So I, I, I just leaned over, and I just loudly said, I said, sir, his ethnicity has nothing to do with what just happened. And you could, could kind of feel the tension going out of the bus, like that. And then I looked over, and there's this little East Indian man looking at me, and he's going. But we have these stereotypes, these judgments that we make. Uh, and I believe the Lord wants to, to just break them. One of the exercises we did on Ash Wednesday night was we took oil and we rubbed it on our hand. And it was, it was symbolic of those dry, cracked places that need refreshing and renewal. And so, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would rub your oil into those dry, cracked places where we've allowed bitter root judgments to come and to harden our hearts. Lord, in this Lent season, would you come and, and just soften our hearts with oil? I love that old song we used to sing. Soften my heart with oil. Open my eyes to see. Fill me with understanding. Lord, we ask you to do that. Just, Lord, where we still framed one another, where we're still holding people hostage or prisoner in a certain concept, 
Lord, we, we know that we need wisdom. We know sometimes that we're, we're not to throw out our pearls and we're not to... We know that. We need your wisdom. We need your understanding. But may we have the heart of Jesus that is committed to restoration. In Jesus' name. All right. Yeah, just if any of those spoke to you, just that I mentioned, and you'd like to get some prayer into that, uh, I've, I've named the ones that I felt the Lord was giving me. Um, um, I, I really, I really, I, I'm not going to go into depth on this, but I really think that the Lord is doing a new thing in the GLBT community, in, in our country, in our world. And he wants to make fresh inroads, and I think it's going to take a heart of restoration. Gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered community. I just think that, that God just wants to take us deeper. He wants to take us further. He wants to deepen our hearts, give us understanding, give us eyes to see. So I, I pray for that, Lord. We live in an area where we need that so much in our city. I cry out to you for that, Lord. And would you bring in a harvest? Would you bring in a harvest? Hmm. The Lord's just hovering. I just, that picture of the oil being rubbed in the hand, to me, in some ways, is one part of the body, one member of the body ministering it to another member. I can't, this hand can't administer oil to itself. So my sense is that this is a time to pray for one another, just to administer that oil to one another and, and to confess to one another. If there's some bitter root judgments that you just feel like the Lord wants to break off of you uh, before you leave today, don't leave till that happens. Just, I think all of us could respond. I know I had a lot of... Use the mic. Just to be brief, I just, I just feel like what has happened to many of us is people have said, you are just this or you are that, and it's been internalized. So you're just a pastor's wife, so it's been internalized. Well, I can't do anything. I'm just supposed to be a shadow person. Or you are just, and you can fill in the blank. And then it's been internalized, so now instead of somebody... You hear the voice not from outside, but it's inside of you that says, I am just. You've actually partnered. Like I partnered in the past with the enemy and saying, now I can't amount to anything. So it's, I'm in agreement instead of, so we need to hear each other's voices. No, you are. Sarah, I just thought of you talking to Gordy about, you know, when I went to New York, and I was so freaked out about that boot camp, and they, they said I had to climb 30 feet, and I'm kind of scared of heights, and, and then jump off a ledge. Of course, they had a harness on. But to trust somebody? And then Sarah went up the tree like, <coughs> she went up just like a raccoon. And I said, well, Sarah can do it. Me. So everybody had to scream and yell at me for 20 minutes before I actually tried it. I was so frightened. So 
that seems to, like to hear each other's voices saying, no, you are, you can do it. I see, we've got to really, so I just release this edification that we really need Jesus to, uh, in our community. We really need to affirm and build each other up. Does that make sense? Thank you. Why don't we stand? Let me bless you. If you'd like more prayer and you're not quite sure where to get it, just feel free to come forward. Some of us here would love to pray with you. Or as we often encourage, just pray with a friend that you love or that that you trust. Um, Father, I ask that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, uh, that you would remove from us, Lord, our labels and our still frames that that your spirit would work uh, deeply and powerfully, Lord, that you would make us intercessors, that we would stand in the gap in this city, in, in the middle of its pain, in the middle of its heartbreak. Lord, that, that we would be part of the solution and not part of the problem. We ask for that. And, and we know that's been the case. We know that you have done that, but we ask for more. We ask for more, Lord. Lord, I've so enjoyed having Sue and Sulbin in our home, these, and, and Young, these beautiful Korean students. And I'm asking for a harvest of Asian young people, Lord, into our, into our church. I just, it's our city. And I pray that we would embrace diversity, Lord. Thank you for bringing Danny Martin back and for his friend Norm here today, Lord. And I pray you'd fill our church of, with First Nations people. Lord, that we would take off the still frames, the caricatures, the stereotypes, that we would be the church of Jesus Christ of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Bring children, Lord. Bring youth, Lord. Bring them into our church. I boldly ask you for a harvest. Lord, even if it busts out these walls and we, have, we don't have the money to get anything bigger, but we have to do it anyway. Lord, would you do it, God? Would you send a great harvest to the city because we have eyes to see We have eyes to see that the fields are indeed white unto harvest. Come, Lord Jesus. So may the Lord Jesus bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. May the the power of the Holy Spirit overwhelm you and overshadow you this week. May you be filled with goodness and and utterance to, to edify and encourage and bless one another. May God empower you to be people who restore that which is lost. Have a blessed grace and peace-filled week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.